I grew up in a Christian family and both my parents were teachers. Indeed, they were both science teachers. So from an early age, I grew up in a home that discussed issues of science and religion. Uh, and a home that had books, including Christian books, including books by C.S. Lewis. Uh, my mother read to me the Chronicles of Narnia when I was a child. And then as I was growing up, I noticed my dad had these other books by C.S. Lewis. Books like Mere Christianity. Books of some of his apologetic essays. So I started there and um, moved on as I went through academia. And I ended up um, studying philosophy at university. And reading lots of philosophers, both believers and non-believers. And deciding that I still believed, I believed for myself that Christianity was true. And that I should uh, try my best to be not just a Christian who happened to be a philosopher, but a Christian philosopher. What is the current biggest apologetics challenge that you see in the UK that might reach Hungary as well? Well, the, the UK is probably the uh, one of the homes of the new atheist movement. And even many of the American new atheists did their further degrees at Oxford University. So sorry for that. But the new atheists have certainly put the debate about God back in the public square. Uh, religion is now something it is permissible to talk about in polite society. Uh, so that's something at least that we can take advantage of. Mm-hmm.
Köszönjük is egy másik személyesebb kérdés, úgy értesültem, hogy kedvelő a progresszív rock zenének. Mi, mi az, amit szeret szedni? Mi volt az utolsó? Mi a kedvenc Um, as I learned that you really like progressive rock. Mm. Oh, and how, how come? Um, which one is your favorite band? Oh, some of my favorite prog rock bands. Uh, 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 Genesis, an English prog rock band. Genesis. Genesis, or is it Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, and some uh, more modern uh, American uh, Christian prog rocker called Neil Morse. Uh, Neil Morse, progressive uh, Zenis. Anything he does, his own band and, and a, a, a super group he's in called Transatlantic. Really good. <laughs> so, the floor is yours. Grand. Thank you very much. Let's get this uh, going through properly. Okay, so I've been asked to talk about some arguments for God and for the resurrection of his son Jesus. That is an entire degree course worth of material. <laughs> um, so I'm going to have to choose an angle and try and say something at an introductory level uh, that will encourage and inspire you guys. So let me note uh, the nature of a, of a philosophical argument. A, a good argument is about connecting different beliefs together. To show that you can't reject the conclusion of the argument. Without having to pay the price of also rejecting some other belief. Mivel hogy ennek az elutasítása azt szeretményezni, hogy bizonyos más meggyőződést is el kell, hogy vessünk. Now, of course, the, the higher that price tag is, minél magasabb árcinke van erre az adott érdre, így the more convincing you will find that argument. Annál meggyőződnek fogjuk találni ezt az adott érvet. And I would say that there are many, many good arguments for the existence of God. And for the Christian understanding of who Jesus was. But let me start with some um, modern arguments for God that come on the basis of modern scientific discoveries. Let me begin by pointing to the work of the atheist cosmologist Alexander Vilenkin. Who had a recent conference uh, celebrating the birthday of Stephen Hawking. Uh, gave a, a, a lecture that you can find on YouTube. Uh, in which he concluded... All the evidence we have says that the universe had a beginning. 
amelynek során ő azt állította, hogy minden bizonyíték arra mutat, hogy a világegyetemnek volt kezdete. That's quite a strong statement. Ez egy elég erős kijelentés véleményem szerint. He's not just saying on balance the evidence points that way. Nem azt állítja, hogy ha mi mérlegre tesszük a dolgokat, akkor elmefele villám a mérleg nyelven. All the evidence we have points to the universe having a beginning. Now it's important to understand that the, the, the Big Bang theory uh, is a description of what happened in the past. It is not itself an explanation of that past. So if you believe that the Big Bang happened, you still have the question of why did it happen? Indeed, take as the first premise, the first truth claim in an argument something that immediately follows on from Big Bang cosmology. And this is the statement that there was a first physical event. But also, surely all physical events by their very nature, have causes. Every physical event relates to at least one cause outside of itself. Now, those two statements are very plausibly both true, I think. But if, if, if you agree with them, another statement, a conclusion, follows. You say there was a first physical event. Every physical event has a cause. It follows logically that the first physical event must have had a cause. And you might begin to see how that could pose a problem to a, a purely materialistic worldview. Indeed, let's kind of carry forward the argument another stage. And, and start with where we got to, the idea that the, the first physical event had a cause. Well, surely, when you think about it, that the cause, whatever that was, the cause of the first physical event can't have been a physical cause. From which it follows that the first physical event must have had a cause that was non-physical. In other words, a supernatural cause. And I think we could 
if we had the time, pursue this line of argument further to show more clearly that that supernatural cause of the universe is something like we think of as God. But already I think we've said enough to get rid of a materialistic worldview. And to give us a, a reasonable signpost pointing in God's direction. Here's a, another aspect of cosmology. The so-called fine-tuning of the cosmos. Imagine you had a universe-generating machine. And for every law of nature you want to give a universe, you have a different dial on the machine. So you have a dial for the uh, strong nuclear force. A dial for gravity. And so on. And of course, all of these forces could be stronger or weaker relative to each other. Now, the thing that surprised scientists in the 1960s and 70s when they started exploring this concept was basically this. If you had a machine that was set up to represent the way our universe actually is, and you changed that setup by a minute amount, and then you press the create a universe button, as it were. You wouldn't end up with a universe pretty much like this one, but a bit different. You'd end up with a very boring and lifeless universe. For example, if gravity was a little bit stronger, uh, the Big Bang would have happened, and then matter would have collapsed back on itself uh, before life could appear. But if gravity were a little bit weaker, when that Big Bang happened, all of the matter would have sped apart from itself so quickly that none of that matter would have got together to create things like stars and planets. Let alone you and me and bunny rabbits. So as the agnostic uh, cosmologist Paul Davis writes, 
everyone agrees, looking at this data, everyone agrees that the universe looks as if it were designed for life. The only question is, is that appearance of design deceptive for some reason? You may enjoy uh, reading his book, The Goldilocks Enigma. To see how a non-Christian struggles with this information. The American Christian philosopher Bill Craig. Bill Craig, uh, talks about uh, a recent development in how we detect that something is designed. It's a test that looks for something called specified complexity. You'll see there are, there are two parts to this test. Uh, Craig says that in addition to having something that's very unlikely, high improbability, high improbability, unlikely, you also have to ha- have a matching and independently given pattern. And when you when you hit that independent pattern in a very unlikely way, we quite rightly infer that design was involved. He gives the example of playing a game of poker, uh, the card game. Uh, of, of course, he says. Every deal of cards is equally improbable. They're all one possible series of cards out of all of the possible combinations of cards of that length. But he says... If when you're playing cards, every time a certain player is in charge of dealing out the cards, they end up with all four aces, you would be right to accuse them of cheating. It would be no defence for them to say, but every deal of cards is equally unlikely. And many atheists recognize this kind of test for design. So here's a quote from the British atheist Richard Dawkins. Um, he's talking about a famous example in the design argument. Uh, uh, given by William Paley, who talked about how would you explain a watch if you came across it? 
aki arról beszél, hogy hogyan magyarázunk meg egy óra működését, hogyha azzal szembe kerülünk. All of these separate parts combine together in just the right way so that they tell the time. Hogy ez az óramű pontosan úgy van összeállítva, hogy a kis ketyerék is kötjük benne, az időt fogják Dawkins acknowledges that this concept of specified complexity, I'll read the whole quote and then we'll go. So it says, specified complexity takes care of the sensible point that in the, the disposition, the arrangement of parts, a pile of detached watch parts in a box, like that picture, is just as improbable as a fully functioning watch. But what's specified about a watch is it's improbable in the specific direction of telling the time. A specifikus komplexitás azzal az értelmes érveléssel áll elő, hogy amikor óra részek, mint ahogy ott fent a dobozban, bele vannak egy dobozban dobva mindenfajta gondos szervezés nélkül, egyedi ellentezésben, az legalább annyira valószínűtlen, mint hogy a teljes egészében működő, őszintén összetett és működőképes óra. Ami ö, konkrétan meg van határozva ezzel az órával kapcsolatban, az az, hogy mennyire valószínűtlen, hogy egy specifikus irányban mégis meg tudja nekünk mondani, hogy mennyi az idő. Röviden, magyarul megfogalmazva, eléggé valószínűtlen, hogy az óra működik. Köszönöm. So many atheists, including Dawkins, will give you this first premise of a design argument. That things exhibiting specified complexity are probably designed. But then Look what happens when we bring in a second truth claim. Here's Stephen Hawking talking about the fine-tuning of the Big Bang. And he says for our scientific models of the Big Bang to work, the universe had to be set up in a very special and highly improbable way. Which is basically to say that it looks like the universe exhibits specified complexity. So again, we have two premises given to us by atheists. But from the combination of those two premises, it follows that the fine-tuning of our universe was probably designed. And again, that's not all that we mean by God. 
But it is part of what we mean by God. And we have to add that to the idea we already have that there is a, a non-physical cause of the whole universe. And uh, together they make a, a more rounded case for God than either argument on their own does. And if we had the time, we could keep going by adding in more arguments. Now, I expect you've heard of some objections to these arguments. But to save time, I'll let you bring them up later. Let's move on to looking at the resurrection of Jesus. We live in an age of popular voices of ignorance. So Richard Dawkins confidently pronounces that accounts of Jesus' resurrection are as well documented as the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. It's just a silly fairy tale. Lawrence Krauss sitting next to him here. Says the point about the resurrection is that there is no evidence for it. He's wrong about that. And many atheist New Testament professors would tell him so. Christian apologists have often approached this issue of the resurrection. By first arguing for the general reliability of what the Gospels say. And then saying things like, because Luke talks about an empty tomb. Because Luke talks about an empty tomb, we can believe that. Now, of course, uh, sceptical New Testament scholars don't like that approach. I do not hear the word sceptical. Uh, um, non, non-believing, no, no, doubting. That, you said sceptical. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. They generally assume that the Gospels are not reliable. But they, they nevertheless think that we can discover some reliable bits of information in them. 
Ugyanakkor azt mondják, hogy apró részecskéket és elemeket, amelyek viszont megbízhatóak, azt tudunk találni ezen a gémokban. By applying various historical tests to those documents. Amikor ezeket a dokumentumokat bizonyos történelmi vizsgálatnak vegyük alá. And those, uh, there are many tests that different people use. But particularly important tests involve having um, early sources. Having multiple independent sources saying the same thing. Um, having eyewitnesses rather than second-hand information. Uh, having sources that say things that are embarrassing about themselves. And the majority of New Testament scholars today using these tests will admit the following facts about Jesus. That he died on a cross. That he was buried in a tomb. That that tomb was later found to be empty. And that various individuals and groups of people sincerely believed that they had interacted with the resurrected Jesus. That, that is just part of the scholarly consensus in the field today. So by using these uh, criteria for good history to establish these facts that need explaining, the discussion really focuses on how do you best explain these facts. But of course that discussion is influenced by the philosophy that people bring to the debate. So for example, the agnostic New Testament scholar Bart Ehrman in a debate on the resurrection with Bill Craig argued that the reason that the resurrection made sense to Bill is that he believes in God. And so, of course, God can act in the world if he exists. But that presupposes a belief in God. I don't think he's right about that. Um, certainly, if you did believe in God, you would have to admit that miracles are possible. That a miracle like the resurrection is possible, could happen. But 
But you'd also have to admit that if you were an agnostic. Or if you were an atheist, but not particularly dogmatic about it. And anyway, we've just looked at the fact that we can give some good arguments for there being a God. So think about having early sources. Here I have a chart showing the New Testament letters. And the end of the blue bar is the date that that letter was probably published. Um, so the, the, the right-hand side of the blue bars. But there is no indication which date, just like chronological. Yes. Okay. Um, and the crucifixion was at AD 33, that line. Just 16 years after the crucifixion, we have the letter to Galatians. Where Paul talks about being crucified with Christ. Or uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in AD 54. This is particularly significant. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, he quotes a creed. And using formal Jewish language about passing on a teaching tradition. He, he says, what I received, I passed on to you. Would you like to just read the three verses three to nine Together? for them? Yeah, just the whole thing. And just in Hungarian? Uh, yes, that's fine, yeah. Tehát akkor olvasom az első politikusi levél, 15. fejezetben 3-9-es versetig. Mert én elsősorban azt adtam át nektek, amit én magam is kaptam, hogy tudnélék, Krisztus meghaltam a bűnöinket az írások szerint. Eltemették, és ugyancsak az írások szerint feltámadt a harmadik napon, és megjelent képásnak vagy a 12-nek. Azután megjelent több mint 500 testvérnek egyszerre, akik közül a legtöbben még mindig jelnek, néhányan azonban elbuntak. Azután megjelent Jakabnak, majd valamennyi apostolnak. Legutoljára pedig, mint egy torsz szülöttnek, megjelent nekem is. Mert én a legkisebb vagyok az apostolok között, aki arra sem vagyok méltó, hogy apostolnak nevezhessen, mert küldöztem Isten egyházát. So you can see that Paul puts in his own comments here and there. But he's talking in uh, AD 54, uh, writing to a church that he had set up in AD 50, about material that he had passed on to them, and that he himself had received earlier than that. So that definitely pushes this information to before AD 50, uh, which is about 17 years post-crucifixion. 
Ezt mondhatjuk, hogy Krisztus Indeed, most scholars think Paul probably got this creed uh, from Peter and James in Jerusalem. Around about AD 36. Of course, he might have got it from Ananias in Damascus. So I won't read all of these quotes. But the atheist scholar Gerd Ludemann says that the information in this tradition traces back no later than three years after the death of Jesus. And that is a very standard view. Of course, in Paul himself, we have someone who claims to be an eyewitness. Um, he says, he appeared to me. Uh, in about AD 54. Also in uh, Galatians, as we mentioned. And then Luke, uh, talking about Paul's experience, uh, writes about this in uh, the book of Acts as well. And this claim of Paul to be an eyewitness is given the, the stamp of sincerity by the fact that Paul was willing to be a martyr for this claim. The general outline of the story of Jesus' death and burial and resurrection can be seen from multiple very early reports. Um, for example, in the book of Acts, when Luke uh, is reporting someone's speech, like Paul's sermon in Antioch from about AD 45 or Peter's sermon at Pentecost in about AD 33. Many scholars think that he really is summarizing oral sources that go back to that early time. Sokan hiszik azt, hogy ő a szájhagyomány által életben tartott történeteket összegzi abban a, a prédikációban. So the question isn't really when was Luke published. That is a question or uh, is it a the, question? The, the, the important question is not when is Luke published. But rather how early is the information that he's passing on? Likewise with the Gospel of Mark, generally agreed to be the earliest of the Gospels anyway, but various scholars think that the, the passion story in Mark is an earlier source. 
És sokan mutatják a bibliotikusok közül, hogy már pasió történet az egyik legkorábbi. And we've already talked about the, the creed in 1 Corinthians 15. So you have multiple independent, very early sources of information all saying the same thing. Klaus Berger notes this about the, the stories of the empty tomb. Or look at the resurrection appearance stories. Here I have a chart listing in, in order the appearance stories from the Gospels. And the, the right-hand column gives the biblical references about those appearances. So you will note that we've got multiple independent sources for at least two appearances to individual people. And at least three appearances to groups of people. To claim that you follow a crucified Messiah was very embarrassing. So Bar Ehrman um, here recognizes it's it's highly improbable that the earliest Jewish followers of Jesus would make up the claim that the Messiah was crucified. You might be thinking, what's this strange picture that I've put up here? This is a piece of graffiti scratched into a wall in Rome. Dating to about 200 AD. And you can hopefully make out a figure on a cross. With a, with a donkey head. And standing looking up at him is a man. And there's some writing there uh, below the figure on the cross. That says something like um, Alexaminos worships his God. It's probably one Roman soldier um, really getting at another Roman soldier who was a Christian. What a stupid fool to worship someone who's got themselves crucified. It's a good illustration of how the first Christians would not have made this story up. Uncomfortable as it is for us to hear, first century Jewish culture didn't think much of women. 
az első századi zsidó kultúrában a nők nem igen számítottak senkinek. And their testimony was considered to be much less reliable than the testimony of a, a man. Ha egy nő jelentett valamit, az sokkal kevésbé vették szabadihetőnek, mint ha azt egy férfi állította. So given that cultural context, ezzel a kulturális It's really interesting that in the New Testament we've got independent testimony that the first people to witness the empty tomb. And the first people to meet the resurrected Jesus. És az első olyan személy személyek, akik a feltámadott Krisztussal találkoztak, were women. Nők voltak. They would not have made that up. Ezt úgy maguktól azért nem találták volna ki akkoriban. Indeed, notice when they formulate the creed quoted by Paul in Corinthians. Amikor a hitvallást megfogalmazzák, ugye Pál erre hivatkozik a korintusi levél 15. fejezetében. To help them spread the good news about Jesus. Amelynek az a célja, hogy a Jézus Krisztus jó hírét lehessen jobban terjeszteni. The church leaves out all reference to women. Az egyház minden nőkre vonatkozó hivatkozást kihagy. Now N.T. Wright is a, a British New Testament scholar. N.T. Wright, a makes the point that this probably shows that the gospel stories about the women witnesses are even earlier than the information in the 1 Corinthians creed. Because you wouldn't have made it up later, but you would have failed to mention it in the creed. So that must be really early sources of information. So here's N.T. Wright summarizing the situation about the evidence. He says, historical investigation brings us to the point where we must say that the tomb previously having a, a thoroughly dead Jesus was empty and that his followers saw and met someone that they were convinced was that same Jesus, bodily alive, though in a new transformed fashion. That is not controversial. What is controversial is how you explain that information. But as Stephen Davis, a Christian philosopher, says, no one who denies that Jesus was raised from the dead has been able to account for those widely accepted facts. 
Egy keresztény filozófus, Stephen T. Davis azt állítja, hogy senki nem tagadja azt, hogy Jézus a halottaiból feltámadt. So, Ugyanakkor nem volt még képes beszámolni, vagy megfelelő intókkal, magyarázattal szolgálni ezekre a széles körben átfogadott tényekre. So, for example, a, a book on the resurrection by Giza Vermes, who is not a believer, and having established all of that information, he spends a chapter at the end of the book, looking at various different explanations that people have proposed. Yeah, Jesus didn't really die. Um, he somehow came to in the tomb. Uh, he revived and came back to life in the tomb. Um, the, uh, the, the disciples forgot what tomb he was buried in. Went back to the went back to the wrong one and found it empty. <laughs> uh, maybe the disciples stole the body themselves for some reason. Uh, uh, maybe they had grief-induced hallucinations of Jesus. Uh, in the end, Vermesh says this, all in all, None of the suggested theories stands up to scrutiny. Of course, the, the one explanation he doesn't consider because of his worldview is that maybe God raised Jesus from the dead. <laughs> uh, if God did raise Jesus from the dead, that certainly would explain all of the evidence. Indeed, you could uh, say with Occam's razor that uh, Jesus' resurrection is the simplest adequate explanation. Razor? Um, Occam's, let me tell you about Occam's razor. Occam's, Occam's principle of how to pick the best explanation. Occam's razor. So if you've got competing explanations, if more than one of them will account for all of the evidence, then uh, try and pick the explanation that's simpler than the other. But the, the simplest explanation that does account for all of the evidence we have here that has the, the, the scope of explanation. So Jesus' resurrection would explain not only why people thought they met him alive, 
Ez tehát Jézus föltámadása nem csak arra adna magyarázatot, hogy az emberek ténylegesen találkoznak vele, miközben az gondolták róla, hogy ő él. But it would also explain why the tomb he'd been buried in was empty. Ez a nagyos magyarázat szolgálna, hogy miért találták a síhelyet a Instead of giving two independent explanations of those facts. Dude, I think the resurrection is the only explanation that really has the power to explain the evidence that we see. Of course, if you if you didn't already believe in God, you'd have to recognize that the resurrection was evidence pointing to the existence of God. <laughs> um, but if you approach the evidence for the resurrection already believing in a God, uh, then Believing in the resurrection doesn't even mean having to believe anything extra apart from the resurrection happened. <coughs> Now, of course, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, this isn't just a bizarre fact about some random individual. Given the whole surrounding story of Jesus and the Jewish people, the kind of things that Jesus did and claimed for himself in his earthly ministry, you would surely take the resurrection as a giant divine stamp of approval on Jesus. And the things that he taught. And of course that gives you a much more specific idea of who God is. Uh, more specific than you can than you can get from just the philosophical arguments for God. But I don't think it's a, it's a choice between the God of the philosophers and the God of religion, as Pascal said. If you already believe in the God of the philosophers, the evidence for Jesus will more quickly, easily persuade you of Christianity. And if you become persuaded of Christianity, you suddenly have a lot more information to feed into your philosophical thinking about God. But that is perhaps a subject for another conference. <laughs> so I will end there. Thank you. Thank you very much.